Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Verses 13 through 27. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it, enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Be aware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like, wise, be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good. Okay. We awake this morning? Yeah? Some of you? Three people? All right. Um, so yeah, we are going to finish up the Sermon on the Mount this morning. It has been quite a journey. Uh, my name's Ben. If, if we haven't met yet, love to meet you before, before you dip out uh, when we're done here. Um, this passage that we're looking at this morning is a special one to me. I was... Um, I grew up in the church, going to church pretty much every, every Sunday, every uh, Wednesday night back then, that was, all the churches did that, and uh, Sunday nights as well, and uh, was taught the basics of the faith, and I'm so thankful for that. I um, was baptized as a child when I was seven, made a profession of faith. And then in college, I began, to, um, I began to take a look at my life and, and realize that, some, that it was a mess and that I was uh, living in a very sinful way and came under conviction for that. And so I began to search the scriptures for truth. I'd never studied the Bible before. And... Um, and so I began to search the scriptures for the truth. I began to study what, what is it to be a Christian? What is that? How does that happen for someone? And, and I don't think yet I was ready to say I'm, maybe I'm not a Christian, but I think obviously there was this deep down insecurity there that I wasn't sure that I was really saved. And so I started studying the Bible, I mean, the, especially the New Testament, and just ruthlessly studying it, and especially anything that I could find that spoke directly to this. How does a person go from not being a Christian to being a Christian? How does it happen? And I remember, uh, I remember the first time I read these words that we just heard read. These are very powerful words. Jesus says them in such a way as to make us really pause and think. What he's getting at, I think it's very clear, and that's going to be a big point of this message, is that this takes discernment to tell whether or not you've actually entered into the kingdom or not, because he's trying to help us with that discernment. 
You've got two trees that it's hard to recognize which one's healthy, which one's diseased. You've got to examine the fruit. You've got two paths that everybody's on a path, right? But there's, there are different paths. One's narrow, one's broad, one has many, one has few. You have people who are coming up to Jesus on the final day, expecting entrance into the kingdom, and, and to their surprise and dismay, they're turned away. There are two people building a house, and they, they both, the houses look great until the storm comes, and it's the foundation that's not the same. So you see, he's, he's calling us to discernment, and so I, I read these words, and I remember reading when he talked about the, those who come and stand before him on the final day and say, Lord, Lord, and didn't we do these things? And he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And he says, many will do this. Many. And he says, many are on the broad way that leads to destruction. And I remember just doing a little self-assessment and saying, am I in the many or the few? And I looked around my life and I said, wow, I'm really just kind of going with the flow of everybody else. And I remember thinking, and, this, and it just terrified me, because I, I, for the first time I realized it is actually possible to call Him Lord, to believe He is your Lord, and, and to actually not know Him at all. And, and that shook me to my core, and that's what led to me becoming a Christian. That is what led to me entering the narrow gate. What a mercy. And so that's what these words are for today. And so if you're here this morning and you are, well, you know what? It doesn't matter who you are. I want every, every one of us, every single one of us to just take a fresh look at our life. And that's what Jesus aims to do here. I mean, he's talking to religious people. He's talking to churchgoers. He's talking to Bible readers, prayers. He's not talking to people who, who don't call Him Lord, right, or, or who don't hear His words. He's talking to religious folks. He's talking to us. So let's just, let's just take a fresh look at our lives today. It will be good for every one of us. Let me pray before we jump in. Lord Jesus, thank You. Thank you for shaking me awake all those years ago. Oh, your mercy is too good to comprehend. And I was on a path to destruction. I was on a broad road with many, and I was headed for destruction. And you rescued me. And I'm so grateful for that. And I pray that you would do that for others today, here in this room and online. Lord, I pray that you would awaken some people today. And for those, who, those of us who are, have entered the narrow gate and we're in the kingdom, would you encourage us today to keep building on the solid foundation of Christ? I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this is the end of Jesus' sermon. He has brought us to this final conclusion. He has given us a, a picture, a, an, an example, many examples. Of, this is what the ethic of the kingdom is, or the culture of the kingdom. This is what it looks like. This is what the king delights in. This is how to live in the kingdom. And so he brings us to the end of this, and he is now saying, you must decide. You must decide whether or not you will be part of this kingdom. This is the very first thing that he says, and this is our first test. We're going to look at five tests today um, that are going to help us to 
discern. Are we in this kingdom or have we been deceived? Are we in or not? And so let's look at five tests. The first test that we're going to look at is the test of the gate. The test of the gate. So he says this in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. This is actually the last command Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount. He's not going to give any more commands after this. This is the final command of the Sermon on the Mount. And the word enter there is, in the Greek, it's, it's in the imperative, which means that it's a very forceful word. It is a command. He is saying, you must enter. You must enter by the narrow gate. And so when you hear this, enter the narrow gate, I want you to picture the, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth saying this to you. You must enter. We, we would not be, it wouldn't be correct to say that this is an encouragement. It wouldn't be correct to say this, this is an invitation. Those, those words are not strong enough to, to describe what this is saying, what this is getting at. You must enter the narrow gate. And so we know going into the rest of this section that this is a fork in the road. This is a fork in the road. A decision must be made. Either we will enter by the narrow gate or we will be choosing to be against Christ. In another place, he says, either you are for me or you're against me. It says this about those who do not obey this command. In 2 Thessalonians 1.8, it says that Jesus will take vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't obey the gospel. You say, I didn't think that the gospel was something we obey, something we believe. Well, yes, but we are commanded to believe it. And when we believe the gospel, we are obeying the gospel. We are to obey it. It is a command. If you look at through the book of Acts, which is it's really kind of the story of how the early church gets started, and so Jesus has finished discipling his disciples. He's, he's died on the cross. He's been raised from the dead. He's ascended into heaven. The Spirit has fallen on the church. And then we, we get the story of how Christianity spreads throughout the world. And in, and in the book of Acts, there are several sermons. And you'll find at the end of these sermons, these commands, repent and be baptized, every one of you. It's, it's very forceful because the king has issued his decree. You must enter. What is this narrow gate? The narrow gate is Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 10, he says, I am the door. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. In John 10, verse 9, he says very explicitly, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Jesus is the gate. He's the narrow gate. Why is it narrow? Well, it's narrow because there are no other alternatives it's narrow because it is either Jesus and only Jesus or nothing. We don't get to come through the narrow gate with believe, trusting in also our good works or believing also in other ways. The narrow gate is a gate that's only wide enough for us to come through trusting only in Jesus it says in Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. No one else. For there is no 
other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Do you hear how forceful this is? This narrow gate is exclusive. We must believe in Jesus and only Jesus. We must trust Jesus and only Jesus to save us, or else we're not entering the narrow gate. So that is the test of the gate. What are you trusting in? What are you trusting in to save you on that last day? Are you believing that you are good enough? No, friend, no. None of us are. Are you trusting in some other God, some other religion, some other belief system? There is no other way to be saved, no other gate to enter into salvation. The second test is the test of the way. Let's look at these verses 13 and 14. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So, now Jesus is saying, I want you to discern which way you're on, or which road you're on, which path you are journeying on in your life. He's saying, if you're headed for eternity with me, you will be on a narrow way, or a narrow road. But if you're on a broad road, that's headed for destruction. So, let's think about this a little bit. What's he getting at? What's the difference in these ways, these paths? How do we discern which one we're on? Okay, well, the narrow way is hard because you don't have the freedom to just do as you please, to walk about on a narrow, I mean, right? It's narrow. I I picture in my mind like these paths up in the mountains where if you just take one step off to the side, you fall. It is narrow. It's defined. Time is up. <laughs> um, <laughs> the wide path. Why, why is the wide path so easy? Well, because there's freedom to move about, yes. there's freedom to move about, but also because on the wide path, you're with the flow of traffic. He says there are many on this road, this broad road, many. And so what happens when you're you're going with the flow of traffic and you kind of stumble and fall is, well, everybody just keeps shuffling you along. You just keep moving along with the traffic. And, and here's the way that, that I want us to picture this. You see, in, if, you, if you are a visual person, you picture things in your mind like I do, you maybe you've, you picture a broad road over here like this, and then a narrow road over here like this. But that's, that's actually not an accurate way of thinking about this, because, because why? Because all of the people on the broad road and the narrow road are all living in the same world, right? We're all mixing and mingling. So actually, I think a much better mental image would be to picture the broad road like this, and and the crowd is on the broad road, the world, the culture. It's all moving in this direction, and the narrow road is going this way, right down the middle of it in the other direction. And here's why the narrow road is so hard. It's because we are moving against the flow, against the current. What happens when you are going against the flow of traffic? All the people who are going the other direction look at you like you're an idiot. Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
You ever felt like in following Jesus that the people around you are looking at you like you're an idiot? And have you ever felt like it was everybody else looking at you like you were an idiot? It's because when that happens, rejoice. Praise God, you're on the narrow way. And here's, here's the other reason it's so hard. Because all the road signs say you're going the wrong way. All the road signs say, turn around, you fool. Why are you making this so hard on yourself? Look at everybody else going this way. Jesus says, we've got to be able to walk away from even father or mother. Look, even if your closest family member looks at you and says, you fool, why are you going that way? You have got to be able to stand and say, because I am, I am headed for eternal life. I am following Christ. And this is the way. Come with me. It's hard to go on the narrow way because the crowd is going on the wide path. But he says the way, that, the way to eternal life that's narrow, you're not the only one. There are few on that path. And we need each other. And this is why the Bible says not to forsake the assembling of yourselves, the gathering together, church. Don't forsake it. Why? Because when you're on the narrow way and you feel the pull of the current going the other direction and you look up ahead of you and there's another believer on that narrow path looking back saying, don't do it. Come with me. Let's go. Then you can stay the path. We need one another. There are few on this narrow path. So which path are you on? Are you going with the current of the world, the current of the culture? Are you on the broad way? Do all the signs of the world say, good job? Or are you going the hard way, the narrow path, against the flow, with the few? Second, or third test, the test of the fruit. The test of the fruit. Look at verses 15 through 20. It says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. You won't be able to recognize that their clothing is fake. The sheep's clothing is, it's going to fool you. You're going to have to look at the fruit. Listen, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus is, is wanting us to think about and discern who we listen to. That's what this is about. Who are you listening to? What prophet, what teacher are you following, are you listening to? If you're on the narrow path, you will follow healthy teachers. Listen, this is so important. If the broad path is the crowd with the many, then how many of these false teachers do you think are out there? How many do you think are out there? There are so many. And in this internet age, listen, we can, we, can just, we can just accumulate for ourselves teachers that tell us what we want to hear. This is exactly what Paul predicted was going to happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. He prophesied this. Listen to this. In 2 Timothy 4.3, For the time is coming... When people will not endure sound teaching, that word sound also can be translated healthy. But having itching ears will accumulate for themselves 
teachers to suit their own passions. I wonder if the Apostle Paul got a glimpse of Facebook or, or podcasts or YouTube when he, when he wrote this. I, I wonder. How did he imagine that people would accumulate for themselves these teachers? Itching ears. What is that? It's like, yeah, I want to hear something interesting today. Man, I want to hear some, from somebody who's exciting. I want to hear from somebody who's charismatic in their presentation. Man, man I want to watch something online that's polished. I, I don't want to listen to a preacher that makes me feel convicted. I want to feel good about my life. That is an evidence that we are on the broad path. That is an evidence we have not entered into the narrow gate. So he says, you've got to be discerning about this. He says, you're not going to be able to just look at the person and, and know. They're going to seem so nice. They're going to seem so good. He says, you're going to have to look at the fruit. So what is that? The fruit is what does the teaching produce? What does it produce in their life? And what does it produce in those who follow the teaching? And this is one of the problems. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some amazing preachers online that I, that I love listening to. But this is an issue. You don't get to see their life up close. You don't get to see it. This is what we find out about these, these pastors, these megachurch pastors who, who they... All of a sudden, they're caught in scandal. What happened? Were there any warning signs? We don't know because we weren't close enough to see. The fruit, what is it producing? I remember, I remember um, so that we planted a church in southern Vermont years ago. And there was this guy, I was, I, was, I mean, a really young guy to be pastoring a church. So wet behind the ears. And there was this guy, this older gentleman who came in, and he was so nice. I mean, he was so nice. And, and he was, he, he, he'd been in the church for a long time. He'd been, he, he, he just knew the Bible, you know. And, and I remember after several weeks, he was serving. And maybe after several months, and he comes up to me, and I was way overworked, way stretched thin. And he comes to me and he says, hey, if you ever need somebody just to fill in and preach, man, let me know. I can preach. You know, I've preached for years and years at this other place. And, uh, and I was like, okay, cool. And, and there was this part of me that felt like that could be a really good thing. And I remember one, one day I was praying about this. I, was, I wasn't sure. There was just this check in my spirit that I couldn't explain, and I was praying about it. I was like, Lord, what, what should, is this, should I get this guy more involved? Should I, should I put him up front? Should I let him preach? I really could use a break, you know. He seems so nice. Everybody likes him. And it was like the Lord just so clearly stopped me and said, look at the fruit. And immediately, I remembered some things that he had talked about, about his marriage, that he kind of veiled, but that were unhealthy. It was very clear to me. Very unhealthy. Very unhealthy. So I said, okay, thank you, Lord. And that day I decided, and, and I talked to, I, I, you know, in a, in a way that didn't give a ton of information, I talked to our leadership team and I said, hey guys, this one guy, we're just going to not, we're going to wait. We're not going to advance him in, in any leadership role. Well, sure enough, not, not too much longer down the road, we're in our community group, and he starts putting forth this false doctrine. And we had to shut it down. We had to shut him down. And so the Lord showed me right there that that, that was the right move. And so he says, you will recognize them by their fruit. Look at, this is why in the Bible there are elder qualifications, pastor qualifications. That's what this is getting at. The Bible says that in order to be a pastor, you've got to Test the person. Look at their marriage. Look at their parenting. Look at the way they use their money. Are they generous or are they greedy? 
Look at their reputation with the the people that they deal with. Are they self-controlled? How do they manage their home? And so on and so forth. There's this is fruit. And so why? Why why is this a fruit of teaching? Because listen, everything you believe brings forth in your life. If you, if you want to know how what you're believing is is measuring up, look at the fruit of your life. Is it is it bearing the fruit of righteousness or not? Our doctrine directly affects our lives. What you believe must bring forth, and that's why we're instructed not to endure unhealthy teaching. It's like like food. You're ingesting it, and it's having an effect on you. So, doctrine matters. Look at the fruit. Test the fruit. Fourth, the fourth test. The test of obedience. Look at verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Man, if that passage doesn't put some fear in you, you're probably reading it wrong. (laughs) Jesus is saying that many will do this. Many will come to Him, stand before Him on the last day, expecting entrance into heaven, calling Him Lord, having done ministry, having cast out demons, having prophesied, having healed the sick. They will come up to Him, and then He will say, I never knew you. Now, He doesn't just leave us in the dark about how we can know whether or not that's us. Praise Jesus. He's kind. He's gentle. He is helping us. He's not being mean. He's saying, I want to help you to know before that day comes so that that's not you. What are the clues that he gives us? It's very clear. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then he says, when he turns this person away, I never knew you, that's a clue, you worker, workers of lawlessness, and that's a clue. This is how we can know if this is us. Now, if you were just to read this verse all by itself, It's the one who does the will of the Father who's in heaven who will enter in. If you just read that by itself, you might conclude that we are saved by our works. But that's not what the Bible teaches. You have to to take the Bible in its entirety. And so we read in Romans 4, 5, to the one who does not work but believes in Him, who justifies the ungodly, His faith is counted as righteousness. That is very clear. He's saying to the one that does not work, like if you're counting on your works when you walk up to Jesus on the last day, you're in trouble. To the one who does not work but believes, it's very clear it is belief that justifies the ungodly. It's faith that makes us counted as righteous. It's very clear, Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. It is so clear throughout Scripture, it is through faith. It is grace that saves you through faith. 
Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is the message of the entire Bible. And when you exercise this faith and grace is poured out on you, the Bible also says you become a new creature. Okay, so it doesn't just stop there. This, this, this grace that's poured out on you that gives you forgiveness also turns you into a new kind of being, a new creature. Jesus referred to this as being born a second time, being born again. You start a brand new life. A brand new life begins inside of you and begins to work itself out of you. And so, if that's really happened, then there is no way that you can come to the end of your life and still be just doing it your way. There is no way you can be a brand new creature and the old has passed away and the new has come and you've been born a second time and you not change. There's no way that can happen. And Jesus can't say it any more clearly. And we have to we have to figure out all kinds of little loopholes to make it say that. The Bible doesn't say that. The book of 1 John is all about this. 1 John 2, 3, just one verse out of many. It says, and by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. So if you're sitting here this morning, or you're listening this morning, and you say, I don't know if I've come to know him. Here's what 1 John says. Well, are you keeping his commandments? Why? Why is that the test? Because to, to put your faith in him is the same as to follow him. These aren't two separate things. It's not that you put your faith in him and, you know, I put my faith in him, it's just, it's the following him thing I'm not really into. That's, it doesn't work that way. Right? If, if you say, I've put my faith in him, it's the exact same thing as saying, I've trust him. And then Jesus says to, to you, okay, let me show you the way to live in righteousness. If you then say, oh, well, no thanks then he's going to look right back at you and say, I thought you trusted me. Do you see? So we, can't, we cannot live a life unchanged, going with the flow on the broad path, doing life our own way, and think that we actually know him. And that is the ultimate condemnation in this. I never knew you. You did works in my name, fine. He doesn't look at this person and say, no, you didn't prophesy in my... No, you did not. What does he say? I never knew you. You, you like a witch casting a spell, using, using words to create power, you used my name. But you didn't know me. So, what about your life? Are you doing the will of the Father? And this isn't perfectionism. But what the Bible talks about progressive sanctification. When you look back at your life, when you look back over time, do you see a trajectory toward holiness? Are you moving in that direction? Or is it pretty much just the same as it always was, you just professed to believe? And for me, sitting in my college apartment, that was what I realized. I said, you know, my life never changed. I spoke some things with my mouth. I made some professions. That is apparently worth zero when I stand before Him. 
So, the final test. The test of the storms is the way that that I'm going to put this. Look at verses 24 through 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. What Jesus is saying is that There are people who hear His Word and respond to it, and there are people who hear His Word and they don't respond to it. Another way of saying this is that there are people who continually repent, and there are people who don't. What does the word repent mean? The word repent means to change your mind that results in a turn, a change in your life. So, what Jesus is saying is that if you want to build your life on Him, here's what it looks like. When you hear His Word, you go and you put it into practice. When He convicts you of an area of your life that isn't in line with His will, you do something about it. You change. You confess it. You say, Lord, I was off. I was wrong. Thank you for showing me this. And then you change. Repentance. This This is a lifelong process. It is a continual process of transformation. It is incremental change over time. And he's saying, when you do that, then when you go through the storms of life, and you will, everyone will, you cannot avoid the storms. When you go through the storms, you will stand. You will stand. You will be strong. You will have a foundation under your feet that will be able to hold you up. But there's another way to go about life where you just come to church, you hear the sermon, you tune in online, you hear the sermon, you listen to the podcast, you hear the sermon, you open your Bible, you read the Bible, you say some prayers, you go about the motions, but really there's no transformation because you aren't softening your heart to what He says. And sometimes this is painful. I'll just give a quick testimony. I'm almost out of time. This week, um, so this is me being very vulnerable with you guys. For a long, long time, I wanted an Apple Watch. Long time. I'm a gadget guy. It's like my thing. I like gadgets. And, uh, and Apple makes cool gadgets. I wanted an Apple Watch. And, I mean, I wanted one for years and years, but I had an Android phone. And I always thought, one of these days, I'm going to switch to Apple just so I can get that watch. Okay? That's what I really thought. Well, we switched. We switched to iPhone. We made the switch. And I mean, within like two weeks, I was like, the watch. Okay. And they came out with a, like a little more affordable watch. And I had some of my own, made some money, some extra money. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get the watch. I got, I got the watch. And I, I'm going to be honest with you. I love the watch. I know that's so silly to say. I was so into the watch. It was so cool. I mean, and it was always there for me. I just... It was always there. And one day, I was having my time with the Lord, and I was learning about strongholds, 
strongholds. They, they're, these, they're these blind spots in your thinking. And, and what they do is they weaken you. You're blind to it. You don't know it's there, but it's weakening you. So we tear these things down, these lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. We want to get rid of these strongholds in our lives. Well, God said to me, you've got a stronghold. And I said, really? I mean, it wasn't exactly like that, but it's something like that. And he began, I just felt like put his finger on that watch. Like, you just went over the line with that. He didn't even ask me about it. That was just very selfish. And you, you think it can satisfy you, and it can't. And he's just whispering these things to me, and I'm feeling the pull, and I'm like, oh, oh surely I'm mishearing, I'm mishearing. And it was a battle, it was a struggle. I, I, just, I hate to admit it, but it was. And uh, for about maybe 10 minutes, I sat there and I just battled this. And, 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 and eventually, I just said, you know what, Lord, I want you more than I want the stupid watch. So I pulled the thing off, put it in its box, and returned it. And it hurt a little bit. It did. I'm just being honest. But I tell that story just to say, repentance doesn't always feel good. Like, I mean, yes, eventually, yes. I mean, I feel free. Right now, I feel free. Praise God. But for a while there, it was painful. And repentance doesn't always feel good. But, but a Christian says, I will build my life on you, on what you say not on what I want. And I believe that will make me stronger. I believe that I will be able to weather the storms because I'm building my life on what you've said. Storms are going to come. Pandemics are going to come. Problems in your marriage are going to come. In your family, they're going to come. In your job, it's going to come. Sickness, it's going to come. We are going to face storms. Are you ready? Are you building your life on the rock? Are you repenting Daily, are you thinking about what Jesus is saying to you and responding in that? What about you? Have you entered into the narrow gate? Have you obeyed the gospel or will you face fire when he returns? It is that clear. To enter into the narrow gate is to trust him which means that we follow Him on the hard and narrow way against the current of the culture and the world and our family and our friends and everybody. It means we are careful to consider the teachers we listen to or the peers we listen to or the posts we listen to. We examine the fruit and we say, I will be careful what I follow. It means we do the Father's will. We obey His commands it means we build our lives on His Word. It means we repent and change often. We are transformed progressively over time. Have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you done this? Are you ready today to do this? Are you ready to enter into the narrow gate? Listen, do not trust your works to the one who does not work, but believes in the one who justifies the ungodly. To that one, to that one he looks, to that one he will save and forgive and give you new life. How does he do that? The Bible says that while we were his enemies, he died for us. Our sins were piled up like a mountain before us of evidence of our anarchy. And Jesus came and He said, I'll deal with that. And He went to the cross and He hung on a cross to wipe away our guilt. He went to the grave so that He could defeat it, so that He could be the Lord of both the living and the dead. And then he rose from the grave victorious. And he declared, 
life and light to all who will listen to Him and believe. This morning, do you have ears to hear? Can you hear Him speaking to you? Do you feel uncomfortable in your chair? If so, pay attention to how God works. Listen to His voice. Don't harden your heart. Don't resist the Holy Spirit. Turn to Him. Enter the narrow gate. Obey the gospel. Enter in and be saved. I implore you, believe in Him and be saved. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for coming and living a perfect life on our behalf. Thank you for dying in our place. Thank you for absorbing the wrath of God on our behalf. Thank you for giving us your righteousness. Thank you that we are saved, not by works, but by grace through faith. Thank you that you get all the glory and all the praise. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you did not love your life. You laid it down for us. Thank you for being the way, the narrow gate. Thank you, Lord Jesus for forgiving us of all of our sins. Lord, would you save some today? Would you move in might and power? Holy Spirit, would you save? Would you bring new life today into your kingdom? We ask it. If you are here and you're listening to this, I implore you, believe on Jesus Christ and be baptized. That's what the Bible says. That's what the preachers of old said. That's what the book of Acts says. Believe and be baptized. Believe this gospel and then respond in faith and be baptized. And guess what? We even have an opportunity to do that in a couple of weeks. You can be baptized here. You can obey the gospel. You can obey your new king. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father that He is Lord. We praise You this morning, Lord Jesus. We worship You. Thank You for making a way for us, Your enemies, and making us Your friends. In Jesus' name, amen.